Hey, everybody. All right, let me first just say a huge thank you to the Big House team for everything that they do and for inviting me to speak tonight. Uh, it's an incredible thing, it really is, to have a high school community like this, and I know they work really hard to make this a welcoming place. So, my name is Topher Ossel. I volunteer here at Big House. Shout out to my family group right here. Uh, and I'm on staff here at Orchard Hill Church uh, in kids' ministry. If you've ever volunteered in kids' ministry or done like VBS here, you've probably heard, my, heard me introduce myself this way. If you don't know me, my name is Topher, but you can call me Gopher, Loafer, or Tofu. Call me what you want and I won't lose my composure. No, sir. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's super embarrassing to do in front of a group of high school students, all of whom are way cooler than I am. So, moving on. The standard starting point for these kind of talks is that I give you a little background on myself. Uh, I'm originally from a town called Centerville, Iowa. It's a tiny town in southern Iowa, famous for being the county seat of the poorest county in the state, uh, once being the meth-producing capital of the state, and according to a Des Moines Register article from a few years ago, having the highest incidence of child abuse in the state. We're doing good down south, guys. Just real good. Um, I've been living here in Cedar Falls full-time since 2008, so that's like uh, 11 years. And I'm so single that this was my reaction to Valentine's Day this year. Yeah. So that's me. I do have a family, though. I didn't have any super recent pictures, plus I was a super cute kid, and now I look like me. So this is the one that you guys get. Uh, that is my dad, Bill, my mom, Carla, my big brother, Greg, and they're all super great, and I love them a lot. Uh, there are some other important people in my life, but you'll meet them as we get going. I grew up going to church. Uh, my dad actually almost became a priest in the Catholic Church. I'm super relieved that he didn't. And if you don't get that joke, ask a Catholic friend. Um, my family was incredibly involved in our local church. My dad either uh, gave communion or did a reading every single week, and my mom played piano. And they also put me in Catholic school from kindergarten through sixth grade. It's safe to say that we were very Catholic. Now, before I say the thing I'm about to say, I want to be very, very clear. Uh, my mom and dad are still Catholic. I have a lot of extended family and friends who are Catholic, and they love Jesus like crazy and are some of the most accepting, generous, faith-filled people that you will ever meet. That being said, I hated being Catholic. It was miserable. Church was the worst part of my week, and I don't think there was a single Sunday growing up that I didn't try to fake sick to get out of going to church, which is exactly the kind of church pedigree that you want in your children's ministry professional. All right, now that that's out of the way, I wanna take you through a very quick rundown of my life. Really just hit the highlights because we have 30, minute, 30 years to get through and probably only like 18 minutes to do it. So first of all, let me just say, I am an oops baby. My mom told me that it wasn't funny or okay that I kept calling myself a mistake, and I love her and respect her wishes, so I go with oops now. Uh, my, brother, my brother is six years older than me and adopted because my parents didn't think that they could have children of their own. Uh, 
If I was putting the circumstances of my birth on a resume, I would say that I defy expectations. I'm told that once, while my mom was pregnant with me and laying on the couch with my brother, I kicked so hard that it pushed him off the couch. <laughs> Suck it, Greg. <laughs> I was born just a little over a month after my grandma on my dad's side died. I'm really sad that I never got to meet her, but because of that, I quickly became my grandpa's favorite grandchild. Don't, don't tell my cousins about that. Just kidding, they all know. Uh, I don't remember much of my pre-K years. I know that my dad had a heart attack at some point, uh, but what that meant for me was that I got to have a sleepover at a buddy's house, so it was really just like a cool thing. Um, when I was, sorry, it's, I was four. Um, when I was in kindergarten, I remember having dinner with my family one night when the phone rang, and I saw my dad cry for the first time as he found out that his dad had passed away. Uh, I was six, and I really didn't get it, um, but I knew it was bad because dad was crying. If I ever have kids, they will not have this clue to tell them when something is actually bad, because I cried when Spider-Man disintegrated this summer. Sorry, spoilers, if you haven't seen it yet. Um, a couple years later, my brother's best friend moved away, and because he was really not good at making friends in junior high, he ended up starting smoking cigarettes, which then led to him smoking marijuana and doing other drugs, and eventually being sent away for treatment before I made it to junior high. Um, because of his drug problems, though, I did get to see one of the most grace-filled active parenting from my dad. But I don't have time to talk about that right now. At some point, my dad also had another heart attack. I remember this one because he needed open-heart surgery, and he said one of the most heartbreaking sentences to me that I will ever hear. You can ask me about any of these later. I love telling these stories. Um, when I transitioned from grade school to junior high, I started public school for the first time, and I moved from having 14 kids in my class to having 150 kids in my class, which is very different. Um, I had an absolutely terrifying experience my first day that I cannot talk about, um, but I also had my first run-in with bullying in junior high. A kid that I used to be friends with decided that I was not allowed to go to the school dance, and he told me that he would beat the Elliot told me I'm not allowed to say this word, uh, out of me if I showed up. Maybe you can relate to something like this happening to you. For me, it shaped a lot of how I viewed myself for the next couple of years. The summer between my junior year and high school, or junior high and high school, my mom, dad, and I went on a vacation to New England uh, with my aunt Kathy, my uncle Larry, and my cousin Carolyn. On what was supposed to be the second to last day of that trip, I woke up to the sound of my mom yelling my dad's name. He had just died to his last heart attack while getting ready for the day. Our priest, Father Joe, was one of the first people we called, uh, and he went to sit with my brother, who was back in Iowa. I don't have time to share all the amazing ways that I see God working in this story right now, but if you're ever curious, please ask me. I'd be more than happy to talk about it. My brother didn't take the news well. Um, his addictions, coupled with his ADHD and the fact that my dad was probably his best friend in the world, meant that he spiraled down, and I made the commitment to be a trouble-free kid for my mom. Maybe some of you can relate to feeling like you've had to pick up the slack for some of your siblings. A year later, Greg went to prison for selling meth to an undercover cop. And I don't think more than three people that I knew at the time ever heard about it, because I was so ashamed 
and terrified of what people would think of my family if they knew what it was really like. Oh, and my grandpa on my mom's side also died that year. In high school, I struggled with my weight a lot. I'm fairly sure I had undiagnosed depression, and I definitely have a lot of very sad poetry somewhere that probably should have been presented to a psychiatrist. At some point, I started going to FCA on Wednesday nights, not because I particularly wanted to, but because I didn't drink and the Christian kids didn't drink, and so they thought I was one of them, which worked for me. Uh, I also went to an Acquire the Fire lock-in at a different local church and ended up face down in the middle of an aisle, bawling my eyes out. But the next day I went back to life as normal. My junior year, I fell head over heels in love with a girl who was both one of my best friends and almost certainly never thought of me as a guy. Uh, I decided that she would like me better if I was skinny, so in less than a semester, I dropped more than 75 pounds. Probably wasn't a super healthy uh, weight loss plan. And it turned out, it wasn't my fat she wasn't attracted to, it was just me. So that was, that was great. It was cool, 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 cool. Um, my senior year, I decided I was going to Iowa with all of my friends. Uh, got really excited about it. I applied, I got accepted, I even had like my my ID badge, I was so excited, and then I went to UNI instead with no one that I knew. Um, how that happened is definitely a God story, but it's one for a different time. I landed in a dorm with a bunch of guys who were just starting to take their faith seriously, and specifically one guy named Cole who somehow one morning like broke into my dorm room, climbed my loft, woke me up, and told me I was coming to church with him. After reliving all of those childhood Sunday mornings of trying to fake sick to get out of it and it not working, I finally said yes, and he took me to Prairie Lakes Church. I don't have any idea what they preached on that morning, but I do know that one worship song in, I was sitting down in the very front row crying my eyes out with no idea why. That was the day I stopped wanting to skip church. Meanwhile, my brother got out of prison that year, got married, which gave me my first step-nephew, Mason. We've got a picture of that. He's a cute kid, really cool. Uh, Greg's turnaround also gave me permission to do something I'd never done before, break the rules. I started drinking, I made some really bad decisions, and there's no point in lying about any of those now. The next year, Greg and his wife had their only child together, Ashlyn, who immediately became my favorite person in the entire world, She's so cute. I remember at one point I took her through the dorms at UNI and just like ran her to different rooms of friends and was like, look at my niece, look at her. Uh, I was pre-med at UNI and loving it until the first semester of my junior year, organic chemistry kicked my butt so hard that I immediately walked out of a test and across campus and switched my major to business. Um, my first semester, yeah. Uh, my first semester as a business major, I ended up going on the basic God's Mountain mission trip and giving my life to God, which, if I'm honest, I thought I already had, but I definitely hadn't. Um, and there are amazing stories that came out of that week, but it's also where I discovered my life verse. It's James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
We'll come back to that. After that trip, I decided that I wanted to do ministry instead of business, and I changed my major again going into my senior year. I dove so hard into church stuff, I'm surprised I didn't drown. I loved my senior year. I knew I wasn't graduating, but I didn't care. I was reading everything I could, loving being a part of the college basic community, and I even met this really nice girl who I was spending a whole bunch of time with. Uh, October of that year, I was getting ready to go to a friend's birthday lunch and got the call that my brother had died. I think that the world actually stopped turning for a couple of seconds, because I definitely fell out of sync with it. I don't have time for all the stories that I want to tell you about that day and all of the days that came after it. Uh, I don't have time to talk about how amazingly faithful God was in surrounding me with a community that would be able to love me through this horrible thing, how graciously Jeff Mickey and Carla Chestnut walked with me through all the crap emotions that I had to deal with, or how God put me in probably my first serious relationship during that time so that I wouldn't completely lose my mind to loneliness. I dropped out completely that semester, out of school, end of life. I only had one real class that I kept up with, and my professor, who was an absolute legend, let me turn in a paper a year and a half late. It's weird to say that my brother's death gave me spiritual momentum, but it did. I had to rely on God completely through it because there were no other options. It was God or I was going to implode. That simple. I doubled down on everything. I read everything I could get my hands on that would help me understand God on a deeper level. I latched on to any leadership opportunity that came my way. In my last year of college, my mom got remarried to a great guy named Jerry. Here they are. And if uh, Jerry isn't the most stepdad name that you can think of, you're wrong. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't handle it super well at first, but in my defense, my mom didn't prepare me for it super well, so it's kind of like half on her. Uh, after I graduated, I spent about a month looking for work before Orchard had an elementary ministry position open up. I was ecstatic that I would get to stay around here, so I pounced. That first year working for the church, my grandma on my mom's side died after a long, slow, losing battle with Alzheimer's. And here we are today, five years later, and I'm telling you guys about it. That is my life in bullet points. Obviously, there are tons of things I left out, and as I wrote all this out, I realized it's really just kind of a diary of crappy things, uh, which may have left you wondering, what am I doing here? How do I keep following God, and why should you? It all goes back to that Bible verse that I fell in love with when I gave my life to Jesus at God's Mountain. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, there's this weird thing we do as humans. We think we understand what God is trying to say to us in the Bible the very first time we read it. When I read this verse for the first time, I thought it was talking about my dad's death, how that had tested my faith. But truth be told, I really didn't have a faith to test at that point. Don't get me wrong. Hard things will test your faith. I've experienced plenty during my walk with God, and when those hard things come, you have a choice to make. Do I trust God with this? Do I believe that he is bigger than whatever is happening right now, or do I blame him or run away from him? That's your choice. 
And no one else gets to make that for you in the midst of a tragedy. But there's another kind of trial and another choice. And if you aren't watching out for it, it will erode your faith away and it will take you from the caravan high to complete separation with God. And it'll do it so slowly that you won't even realize it's happening. It's by far the hardest challenge you or your faith in God will ever come up against. And it happens every single day. It's called life. It sounds overdramatic, I know, but please trust me when I say the hardest thing you will ever do in your faith life is get through the boring times. Because it's so much easier to know that we need a life raft when we're drowning. When things are going fine, when you're getting along with your boyfriend or girlfriend, when your family is all healthy and when your friends are actually being good friends, you still have to make the choice to follow God every day. So what is it that's getting in the way of you making that choice? I know you're busy, but we're all busy. And chances are, you probably always will be. I know there are things that you want to do, and maybe you think living life for God, you won't be able to do those. I guarantee you, whatever it is, God has something so much better in store for you. Around Orchard the last few years, we've been quoting Ephesians 3.20 quite a bit. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God wants to do immeasurably more in your lives than you can ask or imagine. But you need to make the choice to look for him every day. And let me tell you, there's no better way to do this than to learn how to pray. Pray like crazy. Pray all the time. Short prayers, long prayers, it doesn't matter. Ask for things, complain, say thanks. Ask him why that weird thing happened or why platypuses exist. Just talk to God. You'll be amazed how much your life and perspective start to change if you learn to connect with God more. Then, when the hard stuff happens, when you face the big trials, you don't have to run to God. You just turn to him. I want to leave you with one story of God responding to prayer. One year after my dad died, my mom and I went on vacation again. My dad's family would go to the same lake in Wisconsin every single summer and rent a cabin and fish and hang out for a week. Uh, it was a tradition that me and my dad loved. So here we were, back in a place that my dad loved, filled with memories of him and years of happy vacations and approaching the anniversary of his death. My mom prayed a prayer. She asked God for some sign that we were going to be all right. And then she pushed ahead. The one-year anniversary came, and halfway through the day, I heard my aunt yell for all of us to come outside. We filtered out of the cabin and looked at the lake where she was pointing. There was a double rainbow stretching all the way across the lake, both ends touching down. I looked over at my aunt, and she was hugging my mom, who was crying. My mom hadn't told us that she had prayed for this sign, but there it was. We'd go on to ask the guy who owned the resort if these were common, and he assured us that he had never seen one, and he grew up on this lake. When my mom came back the next year, so did the rainbow. Again, on the second anniversary of my dad's death. Then again, on the third year, 
And on the fourth year anniversary, I remember sitting inside one of the cabins, disappointed because we hadn't seen a rainbow that year. It was early evening, getting cloudy. Uh, it was still light enough to see outside, but just barely. And my cousin Bob burst into the cabin and pulled us all out, and there it was again. Two rainbows over the whole lake in, in an almost dark sky. The rainbows were always there as long as my mom was, until the year she got remarried, which I've always seen as the fulfillment of that promise. God is always with you. He always listens when you talk to him, and it's always worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you listen when we pray, that you never leave us even for a second, and that that prayer prompts you to action in this world. I pray this week that we could learn to talk to you more, that we could see the way that you're working in our lives, and that because of that, we could learn exactly how much you love us. Thank you for this place. Thank you that we get to come here and put aside our lives for a little bit of time on a Wednesday and remember who you are and what you've done for us. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <clears throat> you.